What's up guys? Coach Az, welcome to episode 6 of the Way of the Warrior podcast. Today I've got two big topics that we're going to discuss and then if I still have time at the end I'll try to think of something on the spot uh, that we can add to the discussion. But I've got two main big topics that we're going to break down. One is going to be conditioning And I don't mean that in the sense of building your cardiovascular system or your anaerobic conditioning. I mean that in sense of shin conditioning, hardening your shins, knuckle conditioning, strengthening your core to take shots. We're going to talk about the whole concept of conditioning your head uh, to take headshots. And just for funsies, we're going to talk a little bit about groin conditioning just because why not, and it makes things more interesting. And then I thought we would talk about, because this has been on my mind a lot recently, training with your partner, your lover, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever it may be, husband, wife, and the whole idea of dating in the gym. Should you do it? What, What should be the rules around it, the parameters around it? It's a real sticky topic so I think why not dig into something really sticky so stick around for that bit let's start today's episode with conditioning I mentioned on last week's episode that I'm going to try and talk a little bit faster not to get through it any quicker I still want to make it about 45 minutes long but because I just realized in listening to myself this is by the way for any of you that are considering podcasting or youtubing Understand that one of the roughest things about it is how much you'll hate yourself. So although it's not nice to get, <coughs> excuse me, comments from strangers that tell you that you look like Ali G or your nose is too big or I mean in martial arts they're critiquing your technique when you're trying to offer up just some free advice. But it's really difficult when you have to watch yourself back in like the editing room and the same clip over and over, and you just find yourself unbearable, whether it be that you talk too slow, or you go around a point too much. There we go. So conscious effort on my part to talk a little faster as we go through the podcast. Let me know if you have a preference or if you haven't really noticed. Conditioning. The reason that this has come onto the table for me, uh, it's partly down to, uh, I think it's been in the ether for martial arts recently because of the Chris Weidman incident. So for anyone who isn't a UFC or MMA fan but still enjoys this podcast, a fighter named Chris Weidman recently fought a fighter named Uriah Hall and in throwing a leg kick, Chris Weidman snapped his shin, I believe in three places, compound fracture, he destroyed his leg. It blew up and when he put it down, it like folded backwards on itself. I don't recommend watching it, to be perfectly honest, but if you're that way inclined, go find the clip. What what made this so interesting was a few years ago, Chris Weidman had this happen against Anderson Silva, where Anderson Silva threw a leg kick and did basically exactly the same thing. It's a very, very rare thing to happen. So not only is it very rare, I think in the UFC anyway, or in MMA, it's maybe happened three times. And if you think about not only how many fights have been in it, but how many leg kicks get thrown. It's not like this is a common practice that this happens, but very interesting that it's happened not to the same guy twice, but involving the same guy twice, being on the end of 
being the one who broke the other guy's leg by checking it and being the guy who threw the kick and then broke his leg. So people have obviously, after seeing that, and if you train it, you're then suddenly, understandably, very concerned about your shins. If you train Muay Thai, K1, MMA, kickboxing, anything where it involves leg kicks, you're suddenly very aware that you do not want that to happen to you. Fair enough. So the topic has been a bit prevalent, whether it be on Reddit or other forums or within clubs. How do I condition my shins to make sure that that doesn't happen to me? To clarify with the Chris Weidman situation, for anyone who hasn't seen it or has seen it and doesn't really understand why that happened to him, he hit the worst possible point that you could hit with a leg kick. Leg kick, you're either going above the knee in order to hit the thigh, the quad, the hamstring, or you're going below the knee in order to hit the calf. When someone lifts their leg and bends their knee, their knee effectively turns into this boulder. It's literally like kicking a huge rock. And that's the bit that Weidman kicked. He basically kicked a rock with his shin bone. And the force that he threw that kick with, it was just one of those situations. <clears throat> the perfect amount of force onto the perfectly rock-hard, immovable object. Something had to give. It happened to be Weidman's shin. So it's not a case of you get unlucky. I mean, it was unlucky, but it's not unlucky in the sense that he threw the kick correctly and hit the correct bit and it just happened to happen to him. He really hit the one place, the one place when you throw a leg kick that you don't want to hit, which is bang on to that knee that's been perfectly braced and compacted and ready to take that impact. And it does a lot of damage. Unfortunate. However, shin conditioning definitely does come into these things. So let's start with shin conditioning. Well, actually, before we even get into shin conditioning, let me talk about the four ways you can condition your body. And when we're saying the word conditioning, what I mean basically is to limit the amount of pain you feel and to reduce the risk of injury occurring to you. Certain areas of the body can be conditioned for both. Certain can only be conditioned for one. There's hardening of the bones, which we're going to talk about in the shin conditioning in a moment. There's killing or numbing or deadening of the, or even damaging, of the nerve endings. So the, the nerve endings on our skin that allow us the sensation of touch and therefore beyond that the sensation of pain. Killing those nerve endings or damaging to a point where you're not then distracted, I guess, by the sensation of pain as easily as someone else's. Prepping the nervous system, and we're going to talk about that a little bit when we get to the body conditioning part of it, <clears throat> and strengthening around vulnerabilities. We're going to talk about that with the head conditioning because, as we'll discuss, there's no such thing as conditioning your head, but there are things, theoretically, that you could do to help reduce the impact or the damage done when you receive impact to the head. There are four things, hardening bones, damaging nerves, prepping nervous system, and strengthening around vulnerabilities. So let's go through the areas. Again, I told you we're gonna talk about shins, knuckles, core, head, and for funsies, groin. 
Start with the shins. Shins is two things, really. Hardening bone and killing nerve endings or damaging nerve endings. Let's start with the whole hardening bone thing. The best way to condition your shins, by the way, for any of you looking to do it, is get a really heavy bag. By heavy, I mean one of those bags where everything is sunk down to the bottom. And when you hit the bottom of it, like with your hand or with your foot, it feels like you're kicking a bag of very wet cement. There's basically no give in it. Now, if you're new, don't start here. Start on a softer bag and build your way to this point. But eventually, you want to get to a point where you can kick a bag that's basically like kicking very hard, wet sand. And really, you just keep kicking it, guys. You just keep kicking this bag and kicking this bag and kicking this bag. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <clears throat> I don't know what it is. I don't cough during the day. I have nothing wrong with me. Whenever it comes time to record these things, the cough kicks in. Any tips to break away from that, please let me know. You want to kick. You just want to kick, 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 and I'll explain why. Starting with the hardening of the bones. So if you looked under, if you looked under a microscope at your bones, this is for those who are unaware, it's basically almost like a honeycomb structure, as in it's porous. There are holes, little tiny holes, all over your bones. So think about your skin. You know how if you zoomed in on your skin, you'd see like the little sweat glands, you'd see the little porous holes. Same thing on your bones. And when you cause damage to bones from repeated impact, hitting, hitting, hitting on the heavy bag, what you, if you then zoomed in again with that microscope, you'd see that whole structure on the top slightly damaged, slightly cracked, slightly split, slightly brittled. And then what happens is your body gets, hope you know if you've got enough of it, your body supplies calcium to that area and it kind of washes over and then you've, you've built this layer. And effectively what you're doing is you're increasing the bone's density. You're compacting down layers of calcium. I'm, very, I'm simplifying it so that we don't have to get, you know, too deep in on the science. You're compacting it down and the more you do it and the more often you do it, the denser and the thicker and the harder you make that bone. It's kind of like, I guess, tempering steel, similar process. You're, you're, you're compressing the molecules, you're tightening that area so that it can sustain a greater impact. The other thing you're doing at the same time is you're damaging the nerve endings on your skin and on the in the, around in and around the muscles and the bone in that area by just constantly whacking it against something. A funny story about this, I recently went to a podiatrist, which is a foot doctor, because I had really bad split skin in between like the webbing of my toes. And it was causing me a lot of discomfort. And because I was on the mats all the time, I couldn't heal it. I couldn't find a way to get it sorted. So I went and saw a professional. They gave me some good advice. We're all sorted. But they did. They do a bunch of standardized tests on your feet to check things like circulation and sensitivity. And one of these tests is they get this little, I mean, I guess you could call it like a hair almost. It's, it's tiny, tiny little prick, but a soft one. And they touch different points of your feet and they tell you to close your eyes and tell you tell them when you feel the sensation. And they're obviously checking that your feet aren't numb and that it's connected to your nervous system. I failed miserably. So I, for anyone who doesn't know, again, I fought in K1 and full contact kickboxing for about four or five years. 
uh, and continue to train in it all to this day, just through habit, I continue to condition my shin and also my instep. So I was not responding very well and she was getting a little concerned and then I explained my work and I explained what I did uh, and she kind of relaxed a little bit. My, my feet are fine, there's circulation, there's blood there, but the nerve endings are quite damaged from years of hitting a heavy bag and conditioning my shins. What you'll sometimes see, I know Stephen Thompson did a video on this recently, uh, or a very big video on his channel, and he talks about you know using a stick and scraping your shins and tapping your shins. Yes, it's doable, it's an option. Coughing again, apologies. <clears throat> but it's not what I would recommend. For the vast majority of you, just kick heavy bags. If you don't have access to a heavy bag, then I guess that's the alternative, right? But if you've got access to a bag, kick a bag, it will do you more favors in my personal opinion. Also, whilst we're on the topic, if you're not taking part in a martial art that requires it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend any time on it, to be honest. Like, uh, obviously, if you're doing jujitsu, there's not really any need to condition your shins. But even if, let's say, you're doing karate or taekwondo, where even at the highest end of the sport, you wear a shin guard. So like, you know, Olympic level Taekwondo players still wear shin guards. You really don't need to worry about it so much. Like, why are you gonna put yourself through that process and put, it takes time, you know, it's putting in time on a bag to do it. Why are you gonna do that? And also, when we're gonna talk about this more with the knuckles, there is a risk long-term of things like arthritis presenting themselves earlier than they should. So if you don't need to do it, don't do it. But if you're in a sport where there's a potential for you to be kicking bare-legged, Muay Thai, K1, kickboxing, MMA, then it becomes far more, far more important. Let's move on to knuckle conditioning and why I think it's stupid. I think it's stupid. I'm gonna drink a bit of coffee. Conditioning your knuckles, unless you're doing Burmese bare knuckle left way boxing, <clears throat> or you're in bare knuckle FC, the bare knuckle fighting championships, it's a complete waste of your time. It, it's, it is promoting early onset arthritis. The same principles apply to conditioning your knuckles, to conditioning your shins, that you are Deadening, as in you are breaking down the bone so that it recalcifies and thickens. If you see someone with really well-conditioned knuckles, their knuckles look bigger. They look more pronounced. Because this bone here is just right on here and they're like very prominent anyway, you will physically be able to tell someone who has conditioned their knuckles. It looks a little bit gross. Uh, I'll make a little caveat for MMA. Maybe MMA fighters should do a little bit of it, but not to the extent that I see people doing. And of course, you're deadening the nerves. You're trying to make all of this hurt less. But unless you have any real intention of punching bare knuckled, I really don't recommend it. And people will say, well, you know, what about from a self-defense point of view? I personally don't advocate using punches in self-defense. Where possible, if you're gonna strike with people, I would, I would, suggest you focus more on things like leg kicks, elbows, 
And even when it comes to using hands, things like open palm or hammer fist strikes, not that, you know, it's traditional, you know, self-defense martial art, but it's just safer. Like your hand is really not designed for punching things bare knuckle. There's a reason that even bare knuckle fighters have to wrap their hands, because if they didn't, everyone would have a broken hand. And no amount of conditioning is gonna stop you from breaking your hands. They're just not really designed to do what we do with them, which is punch stuff. So we have to adapt them through hand wraps <clears throat> and for the majority of us through gloves as well. If you're going to condition your knuckles, if you are a bare knuckle boxer, really the same rules apply. You'll need a heavy bag, you'll need a very thick bag, but you'll need it all a little further up, obviously. <clears throat> this can be a bit harder to find. Alternatively, you might have heard of a maki. A maki. This is effectively a wooden panel with some rope around it just to protect the skin a little bit. And you just punch a wooden panel uh, and develop it that way. So it is an option. It's something you can work on. But I really will go back to the idea of the arthritis because that's something that we don't sometimes consider until later on. But being 40 years old and already starting to struggle with creating a fist and you start losing your grip strength and just the general dexterity of your fingers, we need to think long-term about our health and well-being. And is it truly worth being able to punch someone bare knuckle as opposed to being able to pick up a cup? I don't know, your, your choice to make, I guess, right? Let's move on to core conditioning. And now we're moving into the other two areas in terms of what we can do to condition our body for combat sports. And this is A, prepping the nervous system, and B, strengthening ourselves around vulnerabilities. So the way you condition your body, generally speaking, when you see people doing body conditioning, is you get someone to punch you. Yeah, you put your hands over your head, you put your hands behind your back, you put your arms down, and you let someone use you as a human punch bag. Alternatively, you get a medicine ball and you lay down uh, what the kickboxer where he drops the coconut um, and you drop it on the core and you've got a tense at the moment of impact. Prepping the nervous system is basically just getting yourself used to contracting, to, to tensing at the right point to absorb the impact. So when something is dropped on you or thrown on you or a kick or a punch, you are trained and conditioned in terms of your nervous system to have the correct response, which is to, to tighten up, to tense, and take the shot, to contract your abdominal muscles, to harden them, to take the impact. There's a lot of uh, discussion these days anyway about how effective this is, like how beneficial is it to have people ripping at your kidneys and your liver and your intestine. Isn't it, again, long-term going to do more damage than good? I, I tend to lean towards that camp unless you are particularly fragile. In the sense that anytime someone hits you in the body, you just find yourself collapsing. You probably need it a little bit. You need it a little bit because you need to get used to and you need to start getting familiar with that sensation. So that when it does happen in the fight, whether that be competitively or, or however you approach things, you've got some semblance of being able to handle it. There are some people, you know, the great technique, very capable martial artists, very knowledgeable, 
but they're just made of marshmallow. You know, they're, they're just gentle and they're not used to sustaining impact and they respond in a way that it doesn't necessarily mean they're not fit enough or strong enough to take the hit, but just psychologically, they're a bit weak to that kind of stuff. So you probably could do with being exposed to it a bit, but you need you need good training partners. You need people who are gonna be sensible. You need them to wear big 16 ounce gloves and to temper the power. And again, I wouldn't spend much time on it. You wanna do five, 10 minutes at the end of your session Again, just to get familiar with it, that's fine. But don't make it, you know, part of your daily routine. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. What I do think is necessary, what I think you should spend more time focusing on, is strengthening around vulnerabilities. And this is basically building your body to better sustain and take and handle impact. Do your core work, guys. Hold your planks do your hanging leg raises, do your crunches, whatever whatever it is for you, let's not get into what a good core exercise is today, but spend time working on strengthening your abdominals, your oblique, everything that wraps around all this sensitive area, because up here, as in our chest, we have a rib cage, and that rib cage does a lot of the work, and it's still covered in pectoral muscles, etc. Down here, a big part of your abdominal wall is to protect everything under it, which is very sensitive. Liver, intestines, bladder, all of that stuff. So strengthen that core. Spend some time, do some research. Maybe we'll talk about strength and conditioning in another episode, which I think this would cover more. And do more work to strengthen around these more sensitive, softer areas. When it comes to head conditioning, you'll see these ridiculous videos of people taking shots to the head as if that's going to do anything except for damage your chin. Let's make this abundantly clear for anyone who thinks otherwise. Taking shots to the head does not improve your ability to take shots to the head. All it does is slowly chip away at your chin, slowly chip away at your brain cells, make you dumb, make you punch drunk, give you CTE. <clears throat> it's the worst thing you could possibly do. But again, what we can do, and there's there's a debate on how effective it is, but if you want to spend some time, it's strengthening around the vulnerability. Now you can't strengthen your skull or your head. It is what it is. Some people have a thicker skull than others, that's for sure. But really, what we want to focus on is the neck. Because if I get hit in the head, my head is attached to my neck, and depending on the strength of my neck, it's going to affect the amount that my head bounces around. If I've got a very dense, thick, and hopefully compact neck, I've got a very long neck, so I really, uh, I'm very aware that it don't take much because I've got a giraffe neck. But if you, you see those guys where they just, they just look like shoulders and then a head. They seem to be more prone to be able to take a shot. And I think part of it is down to they've got a shorter lever, their neck for their head, and their head don't bop around as much. So there's a big thing in boxing you'll see. I believe Anthony Joshua is a is an advocate for this. And I know uh, I've been watching a lot of left way. I've spoke about this in other bare knuckle Bernie's boxing. I can't remember the guy's name. But I think he's an American. 
and he's apparently the best left-way fighter there is. And he's a big believer, big advocate for neck conditioning and wearing weights and uh, working on developing the strength of your neck. The other side of the argument is that actually what you're doing is you're just wearing out the vertebrae in your neck. I don't have too strong an opinion on it. I don't personally do any neck conditioning, never have done, uh, don't think I ever will because I, I'm more concerned about the health of my spine and I have no intention of doing any full contact sport anymore in my later years. So for me, it's not relevant. I don't get any of my guys to do it in my gym uh, who train with me, even the full con guys, but if they want to do it in their spare time and experiment with it, I just tell them to be very sensible, take their ego out of the equation, keep it very light. But you can strengthen your neck to help minimize the amount that your head bobbles around if and when it gets hit. But really, why not put that time into working on head movement, working on your defenses, and working on your ability to not get hit in the head more than, oh, I'm going to get hit in the head. How can I toughen myself up to handle it? Who knows? Right. Time for the ridiculous portion of the show. I'll try to remember to add timestamps this week so that if you want to skip the silliness that's about to be discussed, you can. Groin conditioning. Groin conditioning. Now, I only bring this up because <clears throat> there was a show in the UK anyway. And this guy went around Asia. It was actually a pretty good show. And he was he seemed to be quite a legit martial artist, to be fair. And he just explored martial art culture. So he went to different schools, different gyms. The name escapes me. I'm sorry, I should have checked before I got on here. I don't even know how I'd find it. And one of the schools he went to was a specialized school in, I think he called it the Iron Groin. The, the translation was iron, the iron groin. And these guys could just take what it appeared to be able to take. You don't know. But what it appeared they'd be able to do was take straight up kicks to the groin or a bow staff to the groin. And then the way they trained it, which was just fascinatingly weird, was not by taking repeated impacts to the groin, but instead by hanging things weights from their junk and swinging gently so imagine like a vivid image for you wide horse stance quite wide a weight attached to a string now thankfully they didn't show exactly how it was attached but i'm going to assume some kind of looping mechanism around let's not get too much into detail and they would just lightly 10 minutes 20 minutes swing their groin <laughs> and it was ridiculous it was ridiculous i don't know if any of it was real i don't know why you would feel the need to specialize or put any time or energy into doing that appropriately the bin men have suddenly appeared to collect my rubbish whilst i'm discussing absolute rubbish so uh, thankfully, I'm not giving any useful information during this portion of the show, and I apologize for any background noise you guys are hearing on this section. Shall we move on? I feel we should move on. I feel like we've spoken enough about conditioning. For part two of this episode, I'm really enjoying these, by the way. I hope you guys are too, but I'm really enjoying talking to you about this stuff. We're going to talk about training with your partner slash dating in the gym 
we're going to start by talking about the whole idea of dating people that you train with or dating in the gym and my opinions on it. And that's all it ever is, by the way. And then we're going to talk about some of my rules or my advice to you if you date someone who you train with. And by date, I mean maybe your boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe it's more serious, you're married, maybe you even have kids. Some some things for you to consider. Let's start with dating in the gym. And I think it's important that I be transparent from the start. I am a married man and I met my partner in martial arts. She was actually a student of mine. I broke my, my main rule, my first rule, which was never date students. She was a student of mine. And we started dating and here we are now married. She continues to train with me. She continues to come to my school and train. She recently did her black belt in freestyle kickboxing and it was a great weekend course. I'm very proud of her. She put a lot of work into prep for it. The 13 hours worth of grading was brutal. Uh, A little hard to watch for me because you have a very different relationship with someone at that point and to see them go through that level of not a beating but but the 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 state that we put people through to to make them earn these belts it was a little bit difficult to watch but we're going to talk about that more later on it so i can't sit here and tell you don't do it you shouldn't do it it's not a good idea because it brought me one of the best things to ever happen in my life which was meeting my wife but here's what i will say about it is understand the risk reward ratio of what you're doing when you engage in a relationship with someone at your gym. You need to really consider and decide how much you love where you train and the environment that is there when you train. What I mean by this is if you walk into this training space and it's a safe place where you don't feel judged, where you don't feel any animosity where generally speaking 99% of the time every time you go there and leave you have a good time you need to be really acutely aware that if you introduce a relationship into that environment you are running a big risk of ruining that whether that be short term or long term here's the risk the relationship goes bad The relationship goes bad, goes sour, but neither of you want to leave the gym. Now you have a problem because now you're going to be around someone who maybe you don't like or doesn't like you, who you've wronged or has wronged you. And they're not going anywhere. They're there every day. And even more than that, you might need to partner them and be physical with them. You might have to have them between your legs on the mat in jujitsu and just the other week you broke up because one of you was between the legs of someone else in a bedroom you know what i'm like that's what you're putting on the line that's the risk that you're going to take by taking on a relationship with someone at the gym now if you're not that attached to the gym you might even consider that you could leave after you might consider that they might leave after. But I'm just telling you that these are stuff that you need to think about because relationships go wrong. And as much as we like to think that 
this relationship is the one and it's going to go on forever and you're going to live happily ever after. It doesn't always happen that way, guys. And if martial arts, if your training dojo, if your, your gym brings you a lot of joy and happiness, it's a safe sanctuary in your life where you get a lot of benefit. Do you really want to mess with that? Like there are men and women everywhere. Loads, really nice ones all over the place. Do you really need to go out with the one that's at the one place during the week that you actually really enjoy spending your time? It's just something to consider. Again, that's all I'm, that's all I'm putting out there. I know gyms that have policies about it, that they, they really actively discourage it. And I have other ones where they, they expect you to make it known because it does create, it creates weird things. And we're gonna talk about this in the next bit where I'm gonna talk about the rules for training with your partner. At least, I won't, I won't call them the rules, I'll call them the advice, okay? And let's let's get into that now. The advice for dating in the gym or training with your partner. Number one, don't always do it. Oh my God, I hate this. It drives me mad. Don't shadow your partner, okay? Partner with other people. You can both, let's say you both train in the same class. Let's say you're very similar in level of ability. Don't always partner each other. It's weird. It's really unnecessary. And also, we're not gonna get too into this today, but if your partner is like 30 kg lighter than you, you don't really have any business partnering each other anyway. What You're not getting anything out of it other than spending time with them. In terms of your training, you're not gonna be able to go full blast. So what, you're just gonna always train light now? And once a month you might train with someone else? That's not beneficial to you. Like you came here together from the house that you live together. Go partner someone else. Leave them alone. Like let them train in the same room as you without needing to train with you. That would be my biggest thing. I try my best to not train with my wife too much. When we train together, it's very nice, nice. We enjoy it. She's very focused. She's very high level in terms of technique. So I get a lot out of it from that point of view. But I want to train with other guys that weigh about 80 to 90 kg and who can bang. Like that's what I want because that's what's going to benefit my training. That's where I'm going to be able to open up, unleash, you know, train properly. That's what I want to do. Rule two or advice number two. If they skip training for whatever reason, don't skip training. Don't be that guy or girl where they're on the sofa and they feel unmotivated or they've had a bad day at work. They go, you know what? You know what, partner? I'm not going. I just want to stay on this sofa and watch TV. Be like, no problem, my love. Absolutely fine. Here's some ice cream. I'll see you in an hour. I'm going to train it. Not all the time, like I get it, there's occasions where you need to be there for your partner and the best thing you can do is stay at home. But I've seen it where, I, I get this all the time, all the time, right? Where one person in a couple will text me and say, they're not coming to training. Hi, I'm not coming to training, I don't feel very well. And I know without even asking the other person that they're not turning up either. Even though like, let's say they drive or they could come on their own, but they're just so, like this, they're not coming either. And I'm just like, all right, 
I don't even address it, but for me personally, I think it's ridiculous. You should be able to go do an activity without your partner sometimes. Maybe this is all just how I handle my relationships and I have no business telling you lot to do this, but this is how I feel. If, if they skip, you don't skip. You come and train. Sometimes that's a nice thing. Sometimes that's a good thing. And the last bit of advice, and this is just maybe something that you need to be conscious and aware of, is be okay with them getting hurt and separating yourself from it when it happens. And I'm going to give you a very personal example of this. Quite a while ago, my wife was sparring and something happened with a training partner which resulted in my wife tearing her ACL. Quite a serious injury to her knee, quite a loud noise. She then hit the floor quite hard, made a lot of noise, screaming, pain, right? And I watched the whole thing happen. And I had to, in that moment, separate myself because she was in my class and it was with another one of my students. And if I allowed my personal feelings for what I just saw happen to my wife happen, engage in class, I would have been unprofessional. And even if I was just another student in the class, I would have considered myself to have been unprofessional if I then went, what the hell, man, and started going at this guy. Because what happened was within the realm of normality, you know, injuries in sport happen, people get hurt and it happens. So I acted as if anyone else got hurt. We did first aid, we did accident report, we did what was necessary, we all discussed against the relevant parties. Someone came to me a little while after and they were like, well, you know, why were you so chilled? Why didn't you like, I would have flipped if that was my wife. And I said, well, right now she's not my wife, she's my student and this is the gym and that wouldn't be an appropriate response on my part to bring in my personal feelings for her into it. Like, if something really bad happened, it wouldn't have mattered if it was my wife or someone else. I would have acted appropriately. If someone just straight up turned around, sucker punched someone in the face, and I had no feelings for them, they're not my partner, I still would have lost my call because that's mad inappropriate, right, for, for the environment we're in. But in the same sense, and I'll give you a, a more gentle example, I watched her get punched in the stomach in sparring once, get completely knocked the wind out of her, dropped to the floor, I glanced over and saw that that's what's happened and I carried on sparring. And my sparring partner who's seen it as well said, don't you wanna go check on her? And I'm like, no, no, she's just been winded. You know, and it, like he was looking at me like, "You man, you're insane, Like that's your wife. But I'm like, actually, she's a person, her own person, she's not my property, she's a person who's at training and has been hit in the stomach and gone to the floor, which happens to all of us in training all of the time. What am I going to go over and do and provide, you know, other than making her feel a little bit stupid, that husband, hubby has to come to the rescue, of which I can't even rescue you because all you need is a minute to catch your breath, right? I'm not going to put her in that position. I don't, I don't need to. I know what happened. I'm aware of it. And this is, so this is, I'm, I've gone round in circles. This is my advice. Be okay with seeing your partner on the other side of the room get a bit injured within the reasons of what your sport is, get a bit hurt and avoid with all the power within you, the need to go and instantly comfort and protect and wrap. <clears throat> they won't appreciate it. I don't think so anyway. I don't think 
they will appreciate it the way you think that they will. You think that, you know, that's your duty as their partner to go and protect them, to look after them. In the outside world, sure, whatever. But in the gym, within reason of what injuries happen, stay professional. Both as a coach or as a student, whatever the dynamic is in your gym, my opinion is remain separate in that instance. Because otherwise, you're, you're crossing things over too much. You're bringing your personal feelings and personal life into the gym. And that is a recipe for disaster at all times. Obviously, big injury happens. You're going to be concerned for your partner. You're going to have an emotional response. I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm saying that when they get punched in the stomach and they go to the floor and they're going <gasps> gasping for air, that that's relatively normal. And you don't need to do anything unless it's your job as you know the coach to go over and do something. But if you're in the room training, check they're okay. Glance over, get a bit of eye contact, go, you're good. And then carry on. Personally, I'd appreciate it more that way if it was me. If it was me down on the floor, that's what I'd want my partner to do. That's kind of it for what I have for it. Oh, one more. If you're in the middle of a fight, if you're outside of the gym, you're in the middle of a fight, don't come to training together. One of you go go to the go for a run, other one of you come training. Don't mention it in the gym. What really the overarching advice is keep it as separate as possible. Training is training, and your relationship is your relationship. And the two shouldn't really cross over. I would like to think that people would come to my school and not be able to tell who my wife is. She could be in the class, we could all train together, and unless one of us said something, you wouldn't know who my wife was in the class. Because when we're at class, I treat her like I treat anyone else in the room. Across the board with all things. I, I really try. If anything, if anything, I'm a little harsher on her as in, you know, with the, the standards and I'm a bit like harder in the coaching because I like just to have a better expectation of her because I just know how capable and awesome she is in our personal life. But other than that, she's, she's, she's not that she's not my wife in training, but I view her in a different, with a different lens. And that would be my advice. Separate the two as best you can. And then the, one, the second you walk out the door, it's all kisses and cuddles. But in the class, no kisses and cuddles. Oh, final one, final one. Do not, do not kiss and cuddle in class. Don't be touchy-feely. It's gross. Don't do it. I saw someone once, they kissed their wife on the head guard in class, like mid-spine. One does not approve. This is distasteful behavior. Don't do it. Guys, I'm going to hold it there. I, I get the feeling this episode's going to get me in trouble. I think someone's going to listen to this and have some opinions. But that's fine. Let's have a discussion in the comments below. Um, all of this is just advice. What do I know? You guys do whatever you want. Um, I hope it's been informative. If not, mildly entertaining. And if not, it's at least killed 45 minutes of your day. Right? 
Guys, we're available on Spotify. So if you watch this on YouTube, you can also just listen to the audio version on Spotify. If you found us on Spotify and you'd like to see the ugly mug that has these ridiculous opinions, then you can find us on YouTube. Warrior Martial Arts or Way of the Warrior Podcast. I am Coach Az. Please hit like. Please comment down below. Again, let me know what you'd like me to discuss on the next episode. Uh, subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the podcast. And I will see you on the next one. Yeah.